Welcome to the Michigan Constitution Podcast, where the citizens of the Mitten State seek the pleasant peninsula between their state and federal identities through a deeper understanding of how Michigan's Constitution and its defining case law affects their everyday lives. Your host, Tony Snyder, is a licensed Michigan attorney with more than a decade of experience in private and government practice. Through this podcast, you'll better understand the unique characteristics of Michigan's supreme law and probably learn a few fun facts about federalism, too. And now, here's Tony. State constitutions aren't nearly as sexy as the United States Constitution. You don't see the pomp and circumstance of getting a new state Supreme Court justice. You don't see the breathless judicial opinions opined regarding state Supreme Court decisions like you do at the national level. And you don't see people carrying around their state's constitution in their suit pocket like you will with the United States Constitution. As such, one could conclude that their state's constitution is nothing more than one oversized terms of warranty document we immediately discard after opening our new cell phone package. But is that true? On a day-to-day basis, which constitution, the United States or your home state, do you believe impacts you the most? Do you live in a city, village, township? Do you know how that municipality was originated? Or what authority that township, village, or city has over your day-to-day life activity? What about the roads that you drive on to get to work? Who pays for that? How is it funded? Who decides when it gets repaved? When you get up in the morning, do you turn on the lights in your bathroom and not get electrocuted? Do you start your shower and water comes from the shower head, not down the walls of your house? Who regulates that to ensure they are in compliance with the respective trade code? Most people don't appreciate the depth of state governmental involvement in their daily lives. The Michigan Constitution is both a blueprint, a roadmap, and a shield for the residents of Michigan to ensure their government works for them, not against them. The state constitution ensures liberties for its citizens, It explains how the residents can effectuate change in their government, and it delineates what powers the state has versus those reserved to the residents. The idea of a constitution is not a new concept in the Anglo-American history. To the contrary, state constitutions were created even before our own United States Constitution in 1787. A constitution is intended to do several things. Generally, It establishes, defines, and limits the basic organs of power. It states general principles, and it declares the rights of the people. But specifically, a constitution should state that political power rests ultimately with the people in the state. It ensures that the popular will is reflected in the constitution and in the institutions of representative government designed to serve the interests and welfare of the people. A constitution should ensure that the organs of government are subject to the limitations imposed by the people and by the rights retained by them. Also, next, a constitution is both fundamental and supreme law of the state. And finally, that the courts in the exercise of the power of judicial review have the responsibility and duty to uphold this fundamental law and to refuse to enforce legislative and other acts of government found to be in conflict with the state constitution. But there are other aspects of a state constitution, specifically Michigan's constitution, that we frequently overlook. To wit, municipal corporations and other local governmental units, including counties, townships, and metropolitan districts, 
as well as public corporations organized for specific purposes, such as state universities. Ultimately, a constitution should not be an all-encompassing document. To the contrary, it should be compact and economical in its arrangement and draftsmanship. Details are discouraged, and language, which could otherwise be placed into statute, should be done so. A constitution is less about a rule book as much as it is a guidance document for encouraging effective government. The purpose of this podcast is merely to teach you what's in the Michigan Constitution. Each podcast will review a different article section, we'll talk about what it means, and we'll review Michigan case law, which helps us to better understand the effects of those constitutional provisions. Here's what this podcast is not. It is not legal advice. It is not legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice constitutional law. I practice administrative law. Second, the laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about the Michigan Constitution could very well be outdated the day I post the podcast. If you think you're going to become a Michigan Constitutional Scholar because of my podcast, you're sadly mistaken. You'd be better with a Ouija board and a Magic 8-Ball. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need Michigan legal advice, you would be well served to contact the State Bar of Michigan and ask for the Lawyer Referral Service Program for a referral to an attorney who specializes in your legal need. Now, Much like my disappointed college students, I'm going to roll right from the proverbial handing out of the syllabus into a full podcast covering the Michigan Constitution, this time historically. Even though Michigan didn't become a state until January 26, 1837, the territory had already adopted a constitution as far back as October 1835, 15 months before Michigan entered the Union. Since that first constitution, the people of Michigan have subsequently adopted three new constitutions. Let's discuss each constitution and a little backstory regarding each. Our first constitution of 1835 was a territorial constitution, meaning Michigan was only seen as a territory in the eyes of the United States at the time. The then constitution provided for very, very little. Specifically, it laid out the provisions for election of the legislature, a governor, and a lieutenant governor, with other state offices filled by appointment. But it was the very first constitution to ever provide for the appointment of a state superintendent of public instruction. The second constitution came into being 15 years later in 1850. It was twice the length of the previous constitution, and its detailed provisions reflected the prevalent tendency of that period to incorporate into basic law many provisions which would have been more appropriate to have been placed in statute. This 1850 constitution also included the provision that every 16 years, and at all other times as provided by law, the question of calling a constitutional convention to automatically be submitted to the voters. In 1908, the citizens of Michigan swapped out constitutions by amending its third version. This constitution reflected characteristics of the progressive reform movement, including home rule for cities. Now, sidebar, home rule provides the framework by which a new city may become incorporated and provide for its own government by adopting a city charter. To be clear, 
A city charter is just another way of saying a city constitution. Finally, in 1963, Michigan once again replaced its constitution with the document we have today. The new constitution took on five umbrella topics, which we will briefly highlight. First, the legislative branch. The southeast corner of Michigan, specifically the counties of Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb, believed they were underrepresented in the legislature. While these three counties held 48% of the state's population, they only had 26% of the Senate seats apportioned to them and 43% of the House seats apportioned to them. This meant that they wanted to see more seats allocated to these three counties in the Michigan legislature. Next, the executive branch. Prior to our current 1963 constitution, not only were there eight officers elected to serve in some executive role, think governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, attorney general, etc., but these individuals only served for two-year terms. This meant that every other year they were up for re-election. More so, the executive branch was divided and subdivided into 120 administrative agencies. The goal of the new constitution was to streamline these bureaucratic agencies into a more manageable entity with more oversight by the governor. Next, the judicial branch. The main goal of the 1963 constitution was to rework how judges were selected to the state Supreme Court and all the lower courts. We take for granted that Michigan has a three-tier system whereby we elect our judges on a nonpartisan basis. We have a trial court, which is either a district or circuit court depending on the subject matter. There is a court of appeals that reviews the legal, not factual, decisions made at the trial court level. And finally, a Supreme Court which reviews the legal, not factual, decisions made at the Court of Appeals. Fourthly, educational issues. It was decided under the 1963 Constitution that members of the State Board of Education would be elected. Finally, finance and taxation issues. This Constitution adopted a graduated income tax structure, removed restrictions on tax and spend powers for the legislature, eliminated the limitation on the state borrowing as needed, and it modified the property tax limitations for the purposes of increasing local taxation powers. Okay, I think that's going to do it for the first podcast of the Michigan Constitution Podcast. Thank you for bearing with me as I figure out the voice of this podcast. If you've got show ideas or comments, please feel to reach out to podcast at tonysnyder.com or you can find me on, on Twitter. I'm at Tony Snyder. The Michigan Constitution Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not offer legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. This podcast is hosted by Tony Snyder. For more information, visit TonySnyder.com, send an email to podcast at TonySnyder.com, or follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Snyder. Catch new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. Thanks for listening.